Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1090. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Zane Velji. Good evening, guys. Oh, That's right. Goodness. I didn't hear Corey Hogan as part of that list. Fuck that guy. No. Yeah, Honestly. He's gone. He's away. We, he's not here. We don't need has-beens. We don't need people who, yeah. who've last done this work a decade ago. I'm, I, I, I feel great about this. Yeah. yeah. Carter you posted are, almost you... everything perfectly without him. We're doing great, just the three of us. <laughs> well, except on that part. Okay. When I Almost say this work, everything. I mean the political strategy work. I mean, not the work of posting the podcast, because that is uh, that nice, is left nice. to Stephen <laughs> Carter. Yeah, Carter, uh, you learned from your mistakes last time. You're not you know what I'm, you know I'm going to do? I'm not going to put it on Patreon this time, and I'm not going to put it on Twitter, because I'm off Twitter. I boycotting Twitter, so I'm not going to go back on it. He wants it on Twitter. Well, don't do he it. He has to post it on Twitter. That's my new rule. If people want this episode, they'll find this episode, right? I mean, really. Your most recent text to me, Carter, was a tweet. So I don't know if how sincerely <laughs> you are with Twitter, but okay. Because I had to find an article that you wanted. Jeez, man. Like, you, you're like, where'd that come from? So I went and found the article. So, geez. okay. Well, if we want to go here, how did you find the article in the first place? I don't even know. Man. You were on Twitter. I don't okay. even know. Yeah, there you go. I you don't, don't even know. know. It's like, <laughs> it like I thought, <laughs> you know, details. what would be interesting? And then, bam, it just appeared. I, I, I sought it out. I Googled it. And, yeah. yeah, I sought it <laughs> and out. I but, found a Twitter link. Yeah, you're, yeah. Oh, you're your own Bill C18 Carter. I like this. This is good. I don't like you guys anymore. Carter, like how's mountain guys. biking going? Any crashes today? Uh, no crashes this week, to be honest. Good. We are doing Good. exceptionally well on the crash front. Uh, and we went for two rides today. So things are really going on, you know, looking good for us. Lots of outdoors That's stuff. Good. Almost as nice as your outdoor stuff. Yeah. I had a beautiful weekend, Lake O'Hara, camping. couple nights out of cell service. It was awesome. We recorded Thursday night. I left cell service, came back in uh, today. Thanks Zane for coming back to do the podcast. That was very kind of yeah, you. Yeah, that's that's exactly why I came back. Only reason. Zane, how was your weekend inside? <laughs> what was this like scripted white people theater that I had to just observe? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was like this the weirdest thing. bragging about our weekend what, what adventures. Some, no, it's just, it just it seems like part of some fucking simulation I had to just observe there. Jesus Christ. It's like Zane, a your weekends, radio play. Tell it was us fine. about it. It was yeah, fine. It was, it was what normal people do. Normal working class people. We stay at home with our kids. Oh, are you going to bring up working class people? That's great. That's what you I know? am, Carter. The working, working class, class people. The common man. Uh, speaking, the, speaking of the common man, we're going to move into our first segment, which is about political profiles. Uh, this, is, this is a good two people, three people to have this discussion with. So the Global Mail's Kelly Kreiderman. Well, that's true. Uh, she had a 2,000 word profile about the Premier's right hand man, Rob Anderson, recently. I know we were uh, tossing it about. People were thinking on it, talking about it. It went into Anderson and Smith's history from Wild Rose and Floor Crossing days. Um, interviewed Anderson himself, got into his childhood. You know, the usual profile stuff. So I've been on one side of these as a journalist. Carter, you've been on another side of these as the subject. Of oh, the profile. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we can good, get into it, an so award-winning yeah. profile that I am referencing in particular. Zane, I'm yeah. sure you've been on kind of another side of it. Um, and on none of the sides of it, yes. No <laughs> one's writing a profile about me, and no one wants me to write anything about them. This Maybe is true, people you're working with, profiles yeah. are being written about them. So I, I want to I pick you guys' brains about this, kind of the, the topic of profiles, both profiles of politicians, but also, also profiles of staffers. Um, in uh, this case... Yeah. Rob Anderson as staffer. So, Carter, why don't we start um, 
why don't we start with you? I would, my first question was going to be like, okay, you're, you're behind the scenes, you get that media request, um, and then what? But Carter, I know in one case, you didn't even get the media request before you agreed to do the interview. Uh, do we want to start there? Do you sure, want to talk start about there. That? I don't even know which one that is. I mean, I, I just do, oh, is this the... Oh, rec- the uh, uh, Carter, you've had several profiles this, written about no, you? That's an interesting way of saying that to the audience. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so the <laughs> Tell, sprawl one. I, I'm talking about the sprawl piece, but what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, well, I mean, I knew that they were going to try and do... Oh, Wonder and, Kid. You, you had some of those Wonder Kid profiles written like years ago. Oh, that's really upsetting. Um, yes, I did have... The, I've had Wonder Kid uh, profiles. I've had the... I've had a bunch of different types of Wonder Kid. Okay, but so the the sprawl one, yeah. there was no there was no media request to you. You just heard that people around you were being asked to comment on you for a profile. Is that correct? That's right. So there's two types. There's multiple types of profiles, and I and one type of and I've been involved in two of them specifically. One is the let's take this fucker down type of profile, and the other is uh, <laughs> let's build this fucker up profile and you know so right. the, the the building people up profile i've had my fair share of the tearing people down profile i've had my fair share of but but do you mean with you personally or with people you're working with oh no with me personally both this is yeah this is you know but i mean i've seen it i've seen it over and over again right the the build people up profile i mean we, we could talk about the mclean spread in the 2015 election that justin uh, trudeau had you know, it was all pictures. I mean, it was barely even a profile, but it built him up. Um, my piece in the walrus that Max Fawcett wrote, um, you know, he, that was a build me up profile, right? It was the, you know, the, the genius strategist who did this and, and, you know, and then the other side of course is the, the wall, you know, the, the sprawl tries to tear me down or, uh, Jeremy appels the orchard, uh, which I believe has had seven or eight people read the article. Um, so it's one of his highest read pieces. Uh, but those types of teardowns also happen. And the the truth of the matter is that neither one of those profiles is true, right? The truth is something different. And so I'm, uh, when I found out that the sprawl was trying to do their piece, I thought I best grab the bull by the horns and, and, uh, control the narrative, right? Try and control how things were written and what was written. And, you know, arguably I was successful. Um, some people might think that. Other people might think that uh, they got a really big scoop because I talked so long. Well, pe- people can go read uh, read that profile on the sprawl for, for themselves. But Zane, let's bring you in here in terms of strategy of if you're working with a politician who, who you know, a journalist sends in that media request, hey, working on this feature, working on this profile, we want to talk. What What is that strategy in terms of like how long they should talk for? Who else you should give a second, second voices, that sort of thing? Walk me through some of the uh, some of the strategy. I think it's different for a politician or a staffer. I, I'm deeply conflicted and open to, frankly, open to this conversation to see if it persuades me one way or the other in terms of whether I think staffer profiles for active staffers is a good idea. Like uh, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a school. There for sure. Yeah. Like there's a school of t- thought on that regard that says they're a distraction. They don't help. There's another school of thought that says they humanize. They have an ability to to effectively make a political staffer uh, a known quantity. And once they're a known quantity, they actually make them a trading chip, which is not necessarily bad for an office. So I think there's a school of thought there we can discuss. As it relates to the politician, it depends 
who's the politician? What's the outlet? What's the relationship with the reporter? I'd almost turn this back to you, Annalise, with your expertise in media relations, right? Um, but there are some key questions that you had to ha- have to ask around what's their objective? What's their story? What's your story? Is it worth it uh, if their story gets told over your story? Or can you find other outlets for it? And so when you mostly see political profiles these days of politicians, you have a good sense of who the writer is, what their objective is. They're pretty upfront with it. Um, And frankly, one of the rules that you'd probably want to have in place is understand who, understand how long, understand when, and then think about um, when as in when the publication date is. And then when you talk about the actual interview itself, my lesson has always been shorter rather than longer, right? It's key messages over and over. This goes back to the heart of media training for for anyone, which uh, is is the longer you speak, the more uh, raw material you give them to mold into a piece that uh, allows to, to, to shape it in their own direction. Of course, barring. Stephen Carter's <laughs> Stephen Carter. <laughs> Car- Car- Carter, jump, <laughs> jump Carter's in. Did you, yeah, did you go into that sprawl interview with uh, key messages and a, a time limit there, Carter? I, had, I don't think he did. <laughs> I had key messages. I did not have a time limit. Yeah. You know, what my story, you know, it, it, the, the the sprawl is a very interesting example because they do long form journalism. How many how many long form journalists are left uh, Annalise. I mean, how long was uh, Kelly's zero piece? in Alberta? Zero. Yeah, I mean, Kelly's was two thousand words, which is which like, is long. That's got to be the longest Alberta. piece written in the Globe and Mail about Alberta. Period. Right. Like it, it just we don't have a lot of long form journalists. So again, to court to Zane's point, you know who who's the journalist and what are they going to write? And Zane's point about active uh, political staffers is bang on too. You know, if, if you have your choice, if you're Rob Anderson, I don't think he's sitting there saying, oh, goody, I get to have uh, a profile written about me. I think he was probably dreading it. But the re- the truth is that those profiles get written anyways. So mm. if they're going to be written, um, you, you have a choice to make. Do I play a role in the creation of this piece or do I not play the role in the creation of this piece? Most of my profiles occurred after although there was some that were put in different mediums that were well i uh, during you know kind of during the tenure well i remember carter your there was a piece in the national that i believe adrian arsenault did like a three-minute piece on you which was glowing by the way right it was like this glowing piece you were like first couple of weeks in uh in redford's office there had you walking down the halls that kind of called called you the wonderkin like had that whole sort of um uh, kind of a frame. And I think what, one of the things that Carter brought up here is uh, is interesting, but I think there's a bit more nuance to it, right? The, the build you up piece versus the tear you down piece. But all of these pieces, if you actually, you know, try to understand them, they have two components. One Carter's mentioned, they're actually about writing a mythology about you rather than the actual truth, because inevitably, it will be mythology, you know, a reporter, not to say a reporter's trying to uh, produce a narrative, but there's a narrative they're trying to box this into. For the Rob Anderson one, it's a comeback story, right? Regardless mm-hmm. of what you think of his politics, it's a pretty interesting comeback story of someone who thought he was DOA out of politics in the fringes of a political movement, finds that political movement shifts towards his you know, ideological favoring, finds himself back into quote unquote power. That comeback story is really interesting. And so, yes, we have the tear up and the build down, but we also have a how do they do it, you know, inside the campaign retrospective of how they did it story, which then focuses on the person. I know, Carter, you've been subject to a few of those in that vein. But I would also say that often the build up is a precursor to the takedown. 
right? Because mm-hmm, yeah. if you are not an asset, if you are not a known quantity, it is really hard to take you down, right? So to Carter's point, there's probably a part of Rob Anderson who's like, okay, this is not terrible because, you know, who knows when I'll need my next gig. And this is a pretty decent profile written me in, in the paper of record in, in Canada's publication. This actually spreads my wings across the country in a meaningful way, gets my name known. Not bad for a, uh, a next gig somewhere, right? Not bad for a brand building presence. The downside is we now know the name Rob Anderson. And as soon as we know that name, if something happens in Danielle Smith's office, Rob Anderson is someone we now know, the general public. I'm not saying this is going to be a blast zone that thousands and thousands of people know, but it's similar to what what happened with SNC-Lavalin and Jerry Butts. Known quantity, he becomes a trading chip, right? Known quantity becomes someone that can be the fall guy. And I'd say if we're getting into Alberta politics for a second, zooming back in, if there's going to be a fall guy in Daniel Smith's office, it's you're, you're seeing it in, in Rob Anderson. Like it is going to be this person. And so the buildup, I'd, I'd say, is very much a necessary precursor to the takedown because it's about trying to inform people on who these folks are. And I, and I look at Carter's national profile, which if you have not seen, is a beautiful profile on Carter. Like it's one of the first things that I saw that that had Carter and I get in touch on back in 2011, 2012, prior to my days working with Stephen and Corey together. Um, but I would say, Carter, in your case, th- those were a precursor to then allow for that sprawl piece many, many years later, because you became a known quantity in this space. Well, yeah, because they wanted to, you know, there there is a, we, I, we talked about this with Nenshi all the time, the star rising like the, if your politicians are best to stay away from being a star um that they are much better served by being um you know just a work workman like person who who work does the work for the constituencies when you're a star the star profile goes up the star profile goes mm-hmm. down if you're like uh in in hollywood that's that's a really good thing. You go up, you go down, you you revive yourself. If you're in politics, you often don't get the chance, as as Rob Anderson has done, uh, to resurrect yourself. You're often just left aside, like in the discard pile. Well, on the staffer front, talk to me about the strategy of a lot of staffers like to be behind the scenes. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. reason they're not the politician. They're not the one running. They want to be behind the scenes. Carter, what is that decision like? And is it even a decision or is it the team saying, nope, take one for the team. You're going out there with your life story. Like, what is that strategy like of deciding, OK, here are the staffers that we're going to put in in the public, um, the public front? I have lots of. Uh, friends in politics who just <laughs> I, I, I hate that I am so in front of the in front of the cameras. Uh, they don't understand it. They don't quite get it. Uh, they think that any any political operative who is worth their weight um, doesn't ever go in front of the camera. You know, like the the idea of a podcast like this one where we actually talk about the details is just so foreign to them. I mean, this is this is the giant the biggest sin that you could possibly be doing. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, right up behind that is is talking to the media. Why would you ever talk to the media? Well, you have to talk to the media. Um, today's society, today's campaigns require uh, campaign managers, campaigners to be um, second fiddle to the primary campaign uh, to the primary. And there's been candidate campaigns I've been on where I join the campaign, and me joining the campaign makes it a legitimate campaign. You know, mm-hmm. so 
the politicians are, are, are trading on that image. They're trading on my notoriety to a degree. Um, and that's fine, right? That that's totally fine. It, it's trickier because it's easier sometimes to be an unknown, uh, campaign strategist, but it also brings you maybe that first, the first media interview in a new market is, oh my goodness, this, this candidate has brought in, you know, this guy from Calgary, what does this mean for the campaign? Mm, you know, that's mm-hmm. not a bad first article. Um, a better first article would be your candidate being, you know, so strong that the, they don't need this guy from Calgary to get a first article. But you take what you're given. Uh, Martha Hall Finley always stands out in my mind as one of those campaigns that, you know, when I arrived, there was an awful lot of attention, especially in Eastern Canada, about Martha Hall Finley's campaign. Um, no, it didn't go anywhere. It was totally, uh, it was an impossible campaign, but she got a lot more attention because I was there than she would have gotten if I hadn't been there, uh, especially in the early days. It, it, it wanes relatively quickly. What about this fact? And I think it was you, Zane, who mentioned the Trudeau um, spread in 2015. But once once we get to know politicians, and I think we're seeing that a bit with Smith, like we saw those profile pieces years ago with Wild Rose. We saw those profile pieces in the leadership in Premier. And now it's like, hey, let's write about the people around her. I remember covering um, when I covered City Hall, doing a big profile of like Nenshi versus Bill Smith. And People knew Nenshi, right? We knew his story. Mm-hmm, we knew mm-hmm. about those library books from Forest Lawn. We knew all those pieces of his story that he told again and again and again. And so as a journalist being like, hey, who are some new people I can talk to? Or what's the side of him that the public doesn't know about um, is extremely hard when there it's it's been out there for years and it is fitting in that box and that sort of thing. So uh, do either of you have thoughts on the strategy? And I think we saw it to a certain degree this time too, Zane, with um, Rachel Notley as well, right? Like she's had a lot of profile pieces and in the lead up to this election there was you know here's a new voice who's her their kids met playing doing dance together and here's what she says about her like kind of that new take on politicians that the public know I don't know if either of you have strategy thoughts there of and especially kind of relevant to our conversation last time of fitting into that box and that mold when the public gets bored of that, like how do you start showing that new side um, when people want to get to know and do the deep dive profiles? Yeah, no, and I'm glad you mentioned the last episode because people can pay six bucks to hear uh, how wrong Stephen can be in two two full segments. Um, Good plugs in. Well, yeah. yeah, and they well, can listen. access it because it got posted. Oh, yeah, Carter, thank congratulations, thank you, Carter. Um, you are always looking to refresh, but keeping your brand largely consistent, unless you don't want to keep your brand largely consistent. So let's take talk about the refresh, and then let's talk about the reinvention, right? Because this does lean into last time when we talked about the Pierre Polyev brands. When you're talking about the refresh, you're looking for added pieces that are within that same lane that justify that brand. They could be things that happened recently. They could be things that are personal. There, They could be things that um, kind of show a particular hobby, a particular um, sort of partner that that might finally be comfortable to come in, in view in the camera, uh, proverbially and, and perhaps even literally. Uh, so when you're expanding, it's, it's like a refresh where you're saying, this is the known quantity that you know. Here's the added elements that continue to justify their values, their principled, their lived experience in a way that you know them. 
Does that generally work? No, but it adds a bit more meat on the bone. It kind of gives you that warm, uh, touchy, feely sort of like, okay, I know this person. They continue to be that person. They haven't erred from their ways. And that reminder alone, we often forget, is quite important, right? Like the reminder of, oh, yeah, that's why I liked Rachel Mm -hmm. Notley is actually kind of important in a campaign, right? Because there are folks that, you know, through the day-to-day lives, they don't live our lives. They live their lives. They don't live the lives of continually trying to push per- certain advocacy principles or marketing messages, they are kind of ebbed and flowed. So for many of them, forgetting, let's use Rachel as an example, that she was premier, forgetting that there was a moment and a bit of a wave around her, forgetting that there was a bit of a halo effect around her. You're trying to re-engineer, recreate those sort of emotional moments. On the rebrand basis, you're you're almost going for broke in certain cases, right? The rebrand is is very much a last-ditch strategy uh, if you know your existing strategy is not working. And the rebrand, and let me be clear, because I was not clear last episode, at least in Carter's eyes, is when you are a known quantity, you're a known public quantity, they know you, and what they have known about you for months, years, if not longer, is what you fundamentally have to change. And when you're at that situation in politics, it's it's a very different game than if you're doing the the, the small tweaks, the reinforcements, the reminders, which are very much the the, the former or, or that first category. Carter Zane, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, when you're trying to pitch profiles um, or when you, you just don't get as many phone calls when you're working with someone who's had the profiles all written. You know, I've, I've been lucky to work with a number of underdogs, right? And, and underdogs, yeah. um, when they win, almost by definition, they get all the profiles because uh, you don't get the profiles in advance, so you get the profiles immediately thereafter. On the back end. Yeah, yeah. And, and so Allison Redford got so many. Nahid Denchi, I mean, Nahid Denchi, I think, did over 150 interviews the day after his election. Um, you know, all of them were just little— Is that a, is that a real number, Carter? It's un believable I was there the whole day, and it was insane. The phone never stopped ringing from four in the morning because we were doing interviews across Canada. It was unreal. He was, because keep in mind that Doug Ford had elect, got an elected, um, and, uh, you know, it it was, it was, it It was was almost less, but it was a profile of how could Calgary elect this guy. And it it was a Toronto story that Nenshi just happened to fit into. Uh, anyways, I, I digress. I think that it is super duper hard. Uh, you don't choose when the profile comes. The profile comes when someone has chosen it for you. And, you know, Kelly Kreiderman, I'm sure, wasn't pitched by by Rob Anderson. I think, you know, when I chatted with, with Kelly, I, you know, I even kind of downplayed the, 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 the central premise of the article, right? Like the idea. Oh, yeah, idea. you're quoted in that article. Yeah, I, I forgot I about I that. I am, yeah. I haven't yeah. actually read very much of it because I'm, you know, I'm quoted and you just try and stay away from stuff you're quoted in. Hey, Zane, I mean, I mean, you've never had that. But <laughs> you've read yeah, like never 12 times, it, no. I've had a Google notification yes. for my name and it, uh, that email has never come up. Yeah. Well, one day, <laughs> no, it has not. One day it will. One day you'll be in the media too and it'll be a good day for you. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, profiles are fascinating because we also put a shit ton of value to them. And I'm not entirely sure that, you know, outside of the home team, you know, uh, the people who already like you, I'm not sure how many people actually see them. I, I think that they're just like any other uh, piece of news media in that it lives for the moment that it is published. And then immediately thereafter, it starts to diminish significantly in its value. Um, you don't see these these 
profile is coming back unless all of a sudden you're coming back. Does that make sense? Like all of a sudden you're, you know, like for me, I, you know, I'm, I come back and do another thing. I can assure you the sprawl article will follow me wherever I go. Come back kids, Stephen Carter. Yeah. Um, Zane, do you, do you agree with Carter's assessment that they're maybe don't have a super long shelf life? Is that what you're saying, Carter? I, I, I don't, I don't know. Okay. So here's the thing from, from the, there's two ways to look at that shelf life question. And it's a, it's a good one posed by Carter. I, I, because one way to look at it is that it is as ephemeral as the day-to-day news, right? That this was a profile done last week. It'll be forgotten by the week after. But the question is, what is that profile for? Is it for, informing the public through a specific discrete time period, as Carter might be suggesting, or is it for archival purposes? And I'd argue that these profiles, Hmm. if you buy the principle that they are to make Rob Anderson, in this case, an asset, just like it was for Jerry Butts or David Axelrod or a John Favreau or a Carl Rove back in the day when they had profiles by the New York Times or the Guardian or the Washington Post or the Globe and Mail or Tor Star, that these were not necessarily about consuming them in that moment, that these were search results. These were these were part of the package that that kind of like said, who the f- I just met with a Rob Anderson, who the fuck is this guy? That sort of thing. Or when he pops up again, there's now something to pin it down. And I think it's going to be consumed in that way. What I agree with Carter on is that Gen Pop, not really. Political mm-hmm. circles, yes, important and across the country. So this is why I'm kind of split on this, right? In one way, I hate it because it's like, dude, this is such a distraction from the day to day. In another way, this is now going to be Rob Anderson's number one Google result more than likely. Yeah. One would imagine, right? And so I think there's, there's, and I think it's really dependent on how you consume it. So Carter may not be wrong in the ephemeral nature of it, just like all news, but I think this is consumed kind of differently. And Carter, do you think, like, as to Zane's point now, when people go and Google Rob Anderson and this is the first thing that that shows up, like, do you agree with that? Are people clicking it? Are they reading it that way in in the after in the afterwards? I think that people who go looking for Rob Anderson's name afterwards will see this and they will. You know, this will color their their impression of him until such time as the the follow up piece is written, right? Why Rob Anderson screwed up the Premier Smith's or can't you know office or whatever the whatever they come and get him on that will also be a companion piece because you know we aren't we don't exist to just simply succeed in time. If if the premise that I think both. Zane and I have kind of espoused here is that uh, these articles are written, the, the, the build-up articles are written to, to enable the teardown article, um, then the inevitability is that there will be a teardown article. So yeah. the, these are going to be bookshelfed pieces. These are going to be two ends of, of the bookshelf. And, you know, Rob Anderson, you know, was a very anonymous MLA um, mm-hmm. who only got headlines when he crossed the floor. Um, he's, he's not, you know, this, this is, this could be the high watermark and the teardown could be, I don't know, uh, it could happen in six to eight months. Who knows? Who knows? No one knows, but it's coming. I, I want to be clear on one thing, if I can jump in, Annalise, is that, you know, when we say that this will inevitably lead to the teardown, should that happen? We're not saying that this is like a one, two punch by this writer no. by Kelly Kreiderman, right? Like, just to be totally clear, right? Like this is not a volley spike that she's setting up, right? And I, and I actually think this is a, like my only criticism of this piece, I, was why I wish it was longer because I actually think this is a really interesting story that 
to my earlier point, fits into a mold. We've seen this movie. It's a comeback story. Mm -hmm. So you can park the politics. It's a really interesting comeback story. So I wish there was a little bit more meat on the bone. And and it's already 2,000 words, so I'm really in no position to criticize it at all. Um, But but I would want to make that very clear, right? This is when we talk about uh, build up and tear down. We talk about the ability to. It's probably going to be someone else, if not everybody, if, if he has a, a flaming sort of exit uh, uh, out of politics again. Uh, the other thing I will say, I think it's really important for us to understand that these sort of pieces, as much as like I with my strategist hat, I'm like kind of split and hoping that you guys would persuade me from a pure democracy perspective. I love them. I actually love them because we've talked on this show many times about even Carter, if this is a mythology, mm-hmm. and even if he's getting too much credit, and even if, and even if, to talk about the gatekeepers, to talk about the people behind the scene, I think is so fucking important because this guy right here and that premier's office will make the majority of the decisions for this premier, will allow certain things to happen, will disallow other things to happen. And I think as the spotlight and sunlight on democracy from that perspective, more of this shit, like way more of this shit. So like, Kudos to Kelly on her effort here. I just wish there's more of it. From a strategist perspective is where I'm kind of conflicted around the upside downside, reading it from the pure political math. Well, fr- from the strategy perspective and accepting the premise of the build up and tear down, and maybe you two have different thoughts on that, but should you should you say yes to this sort of thing, right? Like Rob Anderson could have said no, the people around him could have said no, and there would have been, you know, Kelly would have moved on to the next no, thing. Carter, you've obviously well, no, said I don't, yes. I don't know if I agree. See, this is where I don't know if I agree. I don't know if she would have moved on to the next thing. Like, I I think there's a version of this article without his cooperation. We wouldn't have the nice photos of Rob in that in that uh, that office, but I think this profile would have happened regardless. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these these profiles a, get a, a very watered down version of no, that, no. and especially We're in far... today's media environment. No, no I don't no. know. I don't, don't know agree? about that. Totally worse environment. So. Totally worse article. Because now all, all all the only quotes that she gets are from people like me. I'm I'm still quoting, yeah. right? Like no, I'm, that's not, what I'm not saying. going to because I'm I'm like, and I'm not a, you know, I'm not going to boost the guy up. I'm just, you know, he's going to get he's going to get an honest opinion from me. And, you know, my opinion was that he's not that influential. And now that's the article that gets written. So, yeah, the article still gets written, but it's not the 2000 word feature is what I'm saying. I think it still turns into a 2000 word feature. I think that it still goes because who is this guy? You know, to 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 Zane's point, um, this is this is the only way now that we get to see who the gatekeepers are and who the people who are in charge are is through the media doing these types of pieces. And, you know, they will keep doing these pieces, even if um, the, con- the control is, is constrained. And I'm, t- I'm just trying to think of an example where I've tried to control, uh, I think Thomas Lukasik had a hit piece by Chuck Resnell that we tried to control. Uh, no, Chuck. His, Talk his, to us about that. Uh, yeah, we Chuck tried Charles. to control Talk it. To us and about ultimately, that. he just fucking found, I mean, Charles to me is a... Uh, demented fly style of a journalist, but um, nonetheless, he's... Jesus Christ, Carter. Carter. What? To me, to me, very important that I put the word to me uh, in in front of that. It's just an opinion, just an opinion, not a fact. Uh, but he's, you know, he he's going to write his story with his edge to it regardless. And it doesn't matter how hard or how often we try and push him out of writing that story. He's going to write it. And he he's written... He's written so many of them. And I think that one thing that virtually every party that's ever been in power can agree on is that 
those ones are the most torqued, you know? So if you're not in the article, you're probably facing a significant more amount of more torque. So you may as well get in the article. And, and that's, that's kind of the central premise that I bring to these things. You may as well get into the article and try and control, <laughs> control the pain. Which is what you did with the sprawl piece, right? Like you, you and I have talked about this previously, but the, the sprawl piece, you went in there and controlled it and then some. There was absolutely no way that they were going to talk to the number of people they were talking to and not write an article. Like th- 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 that was inconceivable. The amount of yeah, going but, on for but, months. but yeah. that's what it's I'm saying is the, yeah. the narrative changes when the key person says no to an interview. There's still going to be a story, but it's going to be a different story. Um, I don't know. Well, it was a different story. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I was able to control it and to a degree. <laughs> you probably blew everyone else's comments out of the yeah, water. No one else Carter. really got quoted. Just like it was really yeah. no one else. <laughs> exactly. We're, was a snippet we're saying of the, the same, podcast, which was nice, saying the yeah. same thing, Carter. Yeah. Zane, were you, were you called for that, uh, for that sprawl piece? Just give the dirt on Stephen I, Carter. I, I was, and I, and I didn't comment. Boo. Why did you make, why did you make that decision to not comment? Chicken. Carter wanted me to comment, but yeah. I, I really just was like, I don't know. I, I, I was just like, eh, not feeling it at the moment. I also, and can I also um, maybe pump the tires? I, I also knew the writer was quite good. And I think that actually matters in certain cases that they're able to kind of take, not you out of context, but they're able to really do a good job of molding the raw ingredients you give them into their existing narrative. And I just didn't have a good enough beat was this a teardown of my friend Stephen Carter? Was this a man of mystery sort of article? Like, which, you know, I kind of listed some of the frames earlier. Like, mm-hmm. this was not, yeah. I knew this was not a comeback sort of thing, right? I was like, what What was, was what were they trying to get at? What was he trying to get at? I just had no no sense of it. And, and frankly, you know, as an extension of that, I had no obligation to comment and so didn't. Okay. That, but that's a piece of this too, hey, Carter, is like who the outlet is and who the reporter is. And you've kind of referenced oh, yeah. that throughout, I mean, but that obviously and, and, changes strategy immensely. And I quite like Jeremy Colossus, I, you know, the publisher of The Sprawl. I, I don't harbor any any uh, ill will towards him, but he was trying to write the the failure of Stephen Carter, right? Like that was the article. That was the, the title. Did you know that? Wanted. When we all got emails to talk to them, did you know that that was going to be the nature of the article? Because you were uncertain. To be clear with you, I mean, you were like, you're like, I think it might be this, yeah. which was like, oh, well, then fuck, why am I commenting? And you were like, well, to rebut it. And then, you know, I, I was, and then at, by that point, you're like, ah, don't worry, I sat down with them. <laughs> yeah, because you took too long. For an hour. Um, yeah, because I needed to. Was that to actually it? it? The rest of us didn't didn't come around and rally around you? Was that part of it, Carter? Um, but no, not part of it. I mean, it was me trying to just simply control the narrative. Um, right, right. You know, whether you guys sat down and provided the right comments or quotes would have been, uh, you know, uh, something to play with. But it really was up to me to make sure that the article was the article that the best article I could make it. And, you know, again, some people will, will say that profile, uh, you know, was bad for me. And other people will say, well, actually that wasn't such a bad profile given, given what they were trying to do, which was to write the, the Stephen Carter is a failure uh, article, which some will say it was amazing for you. Some might. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I made the best possible outcome from that particular situation. But I think that this is this is where I go with my clients too, right? Like not everything is going to be good. And just because something's not good doesn't mean you, 
you just walk away from it. You may be in a far stronger place if you participate in something, even if it's going to hurt you, than if you just simply walk away and say, write what you will, you know, media, I've, I don't like you anyways. Um, you, you don't exist in a vacuum. You exist in a world where they, the media get to write what they're going to write. People get to say what they're going to say. Um, you only get to control certain aspects of it. And my thinking is, if you only get to control certain aspects, then you best be controlling them. And other people's view is, if I don't participate, then I don't give them any, any oxygen. Hmm. Both of those, I think, are legit. I think that both of those points of view could be understood to be correct. But I also, I, I just have way too much experience with the the negative, I think. You know, I, I think that yeah. it's just so much easier to get in and try and clean it up before it starts to hurt. Carter, do you think once you pick a lane, you have to you have to stick with it on those the two different sides of no nothing to add or I had like it 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 seems like early on in your career you picked that lane of yeah I'm going to talk to media and I'm going to do these profiles. Well, I looked at where I thought the political consulting was moving to, and you know this goes back to the Clinton campaigns and the War Room documentary that was created around it. James Carville, George Stephanopoulos, really jumping into the media zeitgeist and really owning um, the media discussion and the talking points. You know, before them, there was Lee Atwater uh, with the with the Reagan uh, campaigns, and. I think anybody who's watching this, anybody who's looking at this says, you know what, it probably, good campaigns do this now, I'm going to try that. It had not really been done in Canada. I mean, John Lashinger was someone that I studied with, kind of under, he was one of the, the big wigs, and John Lashinger, you wouldn't find many quotes from him in, a, in the newspaper. He was behind the scenes, moving all the puzzle pieces. Randy Dawson might have been one of my very first mentors. Um, Randy Dawson winds up in Prentice's office and the guy's a shadow. No one knows a damn thing about him. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, but did that hurt Prentice? I don't know. Prentice lasted, you know, not a very long time. This, this era that Carter kind of, I'd say Carter in some ways you represent of the political staff or the chief of staff with whether you had latitude or not is is a question to decide, right? Uh, yeah. But you you ultimately you ultimately spoke your mind, yeah. right? Yeah. While in the position, and that was like a net new. Well, last thirty years there was sparse examples. You pointed at some of them, but relatively net new sort of phenomenon, right? Where you'd hire someone to kind of be the shadow. You know, this this very almost sort of tradition from the you know we want the White House chief of staff and they don't say shit because they show their muscle. Uh, internally, they never flex it externally. They've got thousands of people on the payroll to do that shit as their day-to-day -day craft. So why are they doing it? But I'd say Carter and, and to a certain extent, someone like Jerry Butts, who while still being in the principal secretary role in the PMO, was firing off missives on a daily basis, Twitter, social media, sometimes even mainstream media. Not to say that they'd sit on panels while you were chief of staff and, and, and talk shit to people. Um, but it was also, to be totally clear, goes back to an earlier point. There's a personal brand building element to this. All these fucking jobs have expiry dates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They could be long expiry dates, which is like a year or two, or they mm -hmm. could be shorter expiry dates, which is in the months, which by the way, as, as you know, is not that uncommon for many of these jobs. 10, 12 months, you're kind of out of there. Oh yeah. And so if you have the light on you, 
right? If you have the spotlight on you, you're thinking about tomorrow. And in many cases, you're quite literally thinking about tomorrow in terms of your prospects, because as much as it is, hey, and you buy into all that sort of, you know, broader West Wingology of I could do more in a day in these jobs than I can in a lifetime, you're also looking out for yourself to say, what will this, will this profile help my potential pundit gig? Will this get me into a GR firm? Will I be able to maybe leverage this onto a board seat where they can pay me 50, 60 grand a year because I know it's not going to be a soft landing because I'm going to be the fall guy. And so for many people, if and when this profile is written while they're in office, they also know that there's a, a second profile to our earlier conversation that is going to be written. They actually know they're going to be the fall guy. I bet Rob Anderson knows right now. If shit gets rough for Danielle Smith, that it's about her survivability versus a leadership race, and let's just throw out an arbitrary number, 12, 16, 18, 24 months, Rob Anderson's the first trading ship she has, and he probably already knows that. So, you know, I think this, while Carter might say, like, he was probably kicking and screaming, wanting to do it, in some ways, is probably an asset to him. The headline is nice, right? The pictures are good. Mm -hmm. This is helpful. Like, all these simple things are extremely helpful to a Rob Anderson you know, regardless of the current status that and role that he holds. Yeah, in the long run. Okay, it let's piss off forty minutes, guys. I've, I've not yeah. met a I've not met a single cam, uh, candidate or leader who doesn't get pissed off when their staff gets a profile. Well, let me let me add to that. I and then I I suspect it pisses off a lot of the office too, because there's a lot of to our earlier point mythology about what this one person was able to do and did do. And we sand down a lot of the edges. We we mold them into convenient the narrative. Story, I'm not, yeah. once again, I'm not accusing the journalists of actually misinterpreting or misrepresenting what happens, but we're fucking in the storytelling business, right? We're mm -hmm. in the frames. This is a comeback story. And so in many ways, there's a lot of people in and around one Rob Anderson or whoever that profile is written about being like, well, I contributed to that too. And like, that's overstated or that's not that, it's Carter's quote, that's not all that influential. And so, yeah, like it, internally, there's probably a lot of discord unless it's obviously like generated by the office as an office strategy, as something we're going to go seek out to get. And if that's the case, you're living in a fantasy world because that never exists. <laughs> okay, let's leave that one there. Move on to our next segment, guys. Uh, petitions and conspiracy theories. Oh, so the star, yeah, both those things. The star had a piece today about um, how Polyev entered the conservative leadership race with a personal contact list of nearly 200,000 names. How did he get these names? Um, he got these names and emails solely from petitions he had hosted on his MP website. You might recall some of them, things like ending all levels of um, pandemic restrictions, fighting the carbon tax, canceling the rolling age truck program at one point, condemning the payment to Omar Qadar, asking the queen to dismiss governor general, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He's had a lot of petitions on there, gotten a lot of emails and names from that. So records obtained by the star show the actual number and show his try team trying to use a data in compliance with election financing rules ahead of when he was running for leadership. Some interesting tidbits, short little piece. Um, I am kind of relating to, maybe you think they're unrelated, I don't know, I think they're related things here. Um, this news of, of the petition list comes at the same time as a Canadian press article today about conspiracy theories, specifically focusing on Polyev and conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories, sorry. The piece looks at um, language that he's been using with supporters this summer, particularly around the World Economic Forum, mandatory digital IDs, and discusses kind of why the time is ripe for conspiracy theories right now in this um, post-COVID, post-Trump 
um, era. So I, I want to dive in. First of all, Zane, were you surprised by that 200,000 number? No, I know he's been active. I know he's been largely attached at the hip to some of the um, conservative digital media properties. Um, and I'm not saying a formal attachment, but I'm saying a tactical attachment. I mean, this is a part and parcel strategy. Those petition pages you listed are part and parcel of what the rebel would do on a daily basis. Something pops up, you know it's going to motivate the base, and you're going to get a few more people that that haven't signed up to data harvest and get on board and rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. He's built an operation tactically inside his office. He built an operation during the leadership. Uh, so no, this number does not surprise me. Um, there's many things to talk about around the harvesting of data, the strategies used for it, uh, things like list quality, etc. But no, the top line number to answer your question does not surprise me. Okay. Carter, do you think conservatives are better than progressives at this sort of stoking the fear? And I think this fits in with the conspiracy theory aspect of it, but like stoking the fear, using that rebel sort of um, strategy of just like, let's let's get data, let's get names. I think there's a larger number of issues that the conservatives have the ability to, to, to get data harvesting from. I think if you wanted to do data harvesting on issues like LGBTQ issues, protecting children issues, um, I know there were there's lots of great lists developed, lots of great petitions put forward around uh, a number of the uh, issues in Alberta when uh, the provincial government was being seen to be going after uh, GSAs. Um, you can do this from the left. It's just much harder from the left. Um, it's also much harder depending on the audience that you're targeting. Uh, I don't want to, you know, suggest that that uh, every conservative is a, a knuckle-dragging, you know, cr crazy person. But there's a few of them. There's a few. And those those people who are less educated, uh, those people who are more conspiracy-minded, uh, tend towards conservatives right now. And the conservatives are welcoming them with open arms. And that's part of the reason that this is successful uh, for the right. You know, it's it's a far better tool um, for the Steve Bannons, uh, Ezra Levants, and uh, uh, Infowars, whatever the hell his name is, I can never remember. Um, it's a far better tactic for them than it is a tactic for, you know, CBC. You know, it, it, it really does depend on who the audience is. And Pierre Polyev um, comes from the school of Rob Anders, uh, I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about Rob Anders, former Calgary mm -hmm. West MP, came up through the Manning School and actually ran essentially a school for training operatives. Um, and people, the operatives would go and work for Rob for a summer or two, and they would leave and then go and work in the House of Commons for different MPs uh, and different ministers. And his, his, the training is essentially was how to develop and segment lists. And he would do... Uh, you know, feedback forms in his in his 10 percenters. He would do, uh, you know, websites, petitions. He captured more data than any, any MP in, in Alberta, I would argue, and probably better than any MP in Canada. Um, so this is just another extension of that. Um, and yeah, the, the, the right wing has a built in advantage because they have so many more issues. You know, we just don't have the same issues on the on the left or center. 
I'd also argue that that in addition to that, they have the ability to fan these out into multiple networks that are already created, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about Facebook groups. There's been massive examinations, Justin Ling and others, of certain organizations that have already accumulated on Telegram, WhatsApp, Facebook groups, etc. Um, you know, not all of them with, you know, white supremacist ideals, to be absolutely clear. Some of them with just pure good old conservative ideals, but whatever they are, they're organized. And so conservative and 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 by being quick, by being opportunistic, right? Because he doesn't give a flying fuck what the issue is, right? Omar Khadr's in the news, fuck it. Like why this will this will get throw up a petition, throw it to of some WhatsApp and Telegram groups, see what you can gain from it. And to be totally clear for the listening audience, let's be clear on what these petitions are, right? These are not petitions that Pierre Polyev or the conservative party, these are petitions that that they're trying to like, these aren't government petitions we're talking about. These are political data harvesting activities where I have your email and I will be in touch with you to elevate your level of engagement. You signed a petition, sign another fucking petition. You sign another fucking petition, hey, ever want to come to my rally? Want to volunteer a couple hours? Want to bring friends and family? There's a natural cycle of elevating people's behavior vis-a-vis these petitions, which is at the heart of them, to be totally clear. And I know most people listening will probably already appreciate that. I do want to pick up on a piece that Carter mentioned here, which is the the low information voter. I think and and I think conservatives have had this ability over the course of the last couple of years in particular, when you look at the convoy and you look at other things, whether you call them low informo- information voters or, or you know conspiracy theorists, one thing is true that we know from the data academic and reported in 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 in, in broader mainstream media is that many of them have never voted for uh, voted before. They've, they haven't really participated. So what's really interesting, if you're Pierre Polyev, and what I'd love a deeper dive on by the media organizations in some way to find out is list quality, right? How many of these people are actually going to show up to vote? And, and, and how, you know, this number is impressive top line, but because many of these people have never really taken that action before, there's two ways of thinking about it. Net new voter, we have them captured for the first time, exciting, or net new voter, they've never actually done this physical thing before. Are they going to actually follow through on it? And so you have a real question on what the quality of this list is. So as much as a top line number, 200 grand is really interesting. And he's going to continue that. And it's going to become 500 and 700. And the campaign's going to be here soon enough. And we're going to hear new stories like, and the conservatives have signed up 750,000 new people on the list. I want everyone listening to ask a question around list quality. How good is that list? Because what we know about advocacy and petition lists, Carter, you and I know this extremely well. It's yeah. this basic 80-20 rule. 20% of people will do 80% of the activity. The other 80% will probably not show up for you, whether that's more of their time signing another petition, more of their time on the ground, or actually what matters, you're pulling through and marking an X on a ballot. So this will all be impressive. This will all look like momentum, but we have to ask ourselves a question that's much deeper around the quality of the list and can you get them to convert on what actually fucking matters, which will happen a couple years from now. They nerd out on that list quality for a second there. Like how how do you go about measuring the quality of the list, whether this is a high quality 200,000? Can you do that when you're saying this is something media should look into? Like just nerd nerd out on that. Well, you know, if, it depends on who they're talking to, right? So, like, if, if they have sources on the inside, if they're willing to divulge, there's also a lot of interesting um, leadership um, sort of commentary blogs, videos that they made during the leadership race around their sign-up numbers that I get the media to take a look at. But list quality at its at its heart is a a, a fancy way of saying how active and committed 
or, or a word that Carter would use in the past, how sticky are these people, right? Sticky is one thing. And then it's like, can, what can they do? Right. And what you realize is on many of these lists, as much as people sign up for the first thing, the vast, vast majority of them just want to do that first thing. Sign this petition. Great. I signed it. For a political organization, you are only useful if you keep engaging with us. If you respond to my email and sign the next petition, hooray. If you give me a couple of bucks to fundraise, excellent. If you show up offline to commit some time, when you keep triaging and triaging and triaging, layering and layering and layering, when you take that that group of folks that only does the second plus activity, it's a very, very small number. It might be in the tens of thousands, but it's not 200,000. And so when we talk about list quality, that's what we mean. Now, we, we would love to understand how, how deep that list quality is. For example, is he getting 30, 40, 50%, half his list doing two plus actions? What are those actions? That's the way a campaign decides if what they have internally. That's the way Pierre Polyev's team is looking at these. They're probably going to put these numbers out two, three, four, five hundred as they grow as top line fodder because it's nice chum. It's easy to digest. It, it's scary because then we'll have stories about liberal sort of numbers and they won't be as impressive. But what really matters is who's going to do these second, third, fourth order, order activities that ultimately result in them bringing more people like them to the polls and voting. This only activates, only works, only is useful in terms of time, investment, creative messaging if that final action happens. Can, can I jump in on this too? Is that okay? Analyze. Yeah, I, I guess you could do that, okay. Carter. Because yeah. what do you have we're to say? actually sitting on a really interesting list example in our own little podcast world. We have our our Patreon, and that Patreon is linked to a Discord. And the fact, you know, we're, we're kind of always marveling at how active the Discord is, how engaged our, our, our listeners are on the Discord. Um, and part of the reason that we're amazed is that all of us have had experiences building these types of groups before and through yeah. no, you know, no real plan. Certainly we have built a community and a list that, that we're kind of actually surprised by the, the size and the strength of it, because normally you don't get 50% of your pay, you know, of your group doing the next action, which is joining the Patreon, the Discord. You don't get 50% of that group actually engaging with the Discord. You get totally different structures. Like we'd be very lucky in a, in a traditional engagement ladder to be seeing a 10% increase at each at each one. So by the time you go through 100,000 people, to get to a donor, for Such example, point. We, might, we might be looking at 3,000 donors off a 100,000 person list. And that might be an incredibly, incredibly profitable list. Um, so some of the and some of the investigation that can be done, the United States has far more disclosure about these things. Take a look at the disclosure. You know, if you were to take a look at the donors, the small value donors from the CPC, compare them to the list size that that Pierre Polyev is talking, you know, that is is bragging of, and then compare it against metrics from the United States, we'd be able to see very strongly what is the actual engagement rate of his list. And we can compare it to other right wing factions. So there are many different ways that we could, we can test how well is this actually doing. And I can tell you this right off the top, he's not performing as well as the strategists. Strategists, uh, <laughs> you can go visit us on uh, patreon.com. <laughs> 
uh, the strategy. More conspiracy theories, theories coming the, in the Discord. Not the website. Uh, let me jump yes, in on what Carter said. I don't said. know what the website If you're is. talking about a further examination, Carter makes a really good point, right? Was this list that he has developed organically by, by throwing it out on social media, even putting some paid advertising to it on digital platforms like Facebook and others? Or alternatively... Was this already a pre-existing list that he had access to and, you know, he blasted out to, in order to get conversions or had someone blast out for mm-hmm. him, as we know can happen in politics with this sort of porous boundary around legality and list sharing, right? And who knows where these lists were acquired from? You know, Carter, you, you and I could easily go down to Washington, ask them, hey, can you give us a list of like conservative profiles in Canada? And they can do it. They could do it within 24 yeah. hours and it's accurate as shit. Is it legal? No, it might not be. Right? It might be. Well, there you go. The laws are a little I bit. I put no in quotes. Yeah, it might <laughs> this be. This is exactly you know? my point. Yeah. This is, so, if we're nerding out on this, this is important. Was this blasted out to a list that was already like on the one yard line and would respond to you like the chum that 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 these these messages and these campaigns would be, or was this organically developed? I think all those things matter. When we talk about this 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 concept of, of list quality uh, and and who's on these lists and what are they able to do for Pierre Polyev uh, and the conservative movement that he's trying to build, talk to me about age and gender of these lists, and I think specifically the Polyev list, and perhaps it relates to that earlier question about if conservatives are just better than this at liberals. But what what would you hazard to guess the the gender and age skew is of uh, of this two hundred thousand? I'll I'll jump on this. I would be. I would be willing to bet it is way more 50-50 than any of us would think. Um, there, you know, I think on gender. There, yeah, I think that there is this kind of uh, misconception that, uh, that that there there aren't a whole bunch of conservative women. Um, there are a ton of conservative women, and they are finding their voice in a way that we haven't necessarily seen before. So these 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 lists and the way that these lists are developed are off. They can be very much targeted uh, towards a female audience. And it kind of, you know, I'm always kind of surprised and I don't mean to be kind of sexist about it, but it, it, I always think that women are smarter than that. And, and then I'm surprised and shocked to find out that they're not. Um, so, you know, this is, this is part of the, the joy of building these lists is that, Gender and age, they tend towards older because younger people very, very much will not give up their email addresses. They will not give up their contact information. Older people think that joining a list is a good thing. Getting an email is a good thing. Younger people do not. The answer to your question, Annalise, if I was asked that question as a a professional in this space would be, how much money do you have and who do you want it to be? Because I could get you Hmm. a 200,000 person list in this country. That's all women. That's all women that overlay with what many people would think is a progressive sort of like, let's go women 35 to 55, which across the country generally lean more progressive. That doesn't mean there's not millions of women that are conservative in that cohort. We can get you those people. It'll cost you. $20, $30, $40 $20, $30, $40 a conversion, but we can build you that list. So the question you ask, I don't, I don't mean to kind of undercut the question. I think it's a really fascinating question because at the root of it was, how did they build their list? Did they say women are going to be the deciding factor in the next election? So we want to strategically build a list mm-hmm. of women of a certain age and certain geographies? Because if they did so, I'm actually a little bit more impressed with that top line number. My question still comes back to list quality, but I'm a bit more impressed because it's like, okay, interesting. They're actually looking after the composite swing voter in terms of who they've incubated in that list versus 
be all, you know, come on in. It's an open season to come on in. Conspiracy theorists, young people, old people, whatever. I'm less impressed because those folks are not going to decide the election. List quality will suffer even more, especially when we add in that first time voter uh, question. So the question I'm back to anyone that would ask who's on that list is how much money did they spend to get it? And who do they want? Because if they were strategic, that I'm way more impressed with than if they just, you know, said, where is this petition best going to work? Let's just organically spread it out wherever whoever comes in comes in. We're going to do whatever we can with them uh, and try to maximize it versus a clear, concise, and I'd be very clear, expensive strategy to to get the swing voter in certain areas that are going to push through uh, in terms of the, the, the next federal election. Talk to me too, Carter. You you mentioned the Manning Center stuff and lists, and I know um, here locally, and I, I would say active on the Discord and friend of the podcast, Jeremy Farkas had a really big list going into the um, mm-hmm. the campaign for mayor. You were on the other side of that. Do you want to just chat about that? I I remember at the beginning people saying like he spent four years, all he's been doing is building his list. Yeah. Um. This is this is going to be easy peasy for him because of this list, and and in the end, obviously he was third place. But w- walk me through kind of the list in that municipal context. Well, I mean the 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 list. So exactly what what Zane is describing in terms of list development, it is super easy to just wave some red meat in, in front of people's eyes and get them to join a list. The the action of joining a list though does not dictate the behavior of actually casting a ballot. So because they're very different things, as you can imagine. I mean, first of all, you have a specific issue that you've signed up for. You haven't just signed up to be, uh, you know, Jeremy Farkas's guy. You're signing up to be because you want your voice to be heard on a specific topic. And now I have to convert you to being Jeremy Farkas's guy. Jeremy has to communicate with that person. So, I mean, I think that this goes back to the point about, you know, the the anti World Economic Forum and those types of things. I think you're, you've brought a very good, a very good connection into this, Annalise. And that Thanks, connection. Carter. That's the nicest saying, thing you've said to me all week. Well, mostly because I'm angry at you for traveling all the time. Um, but the, 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 the truth of most Canadian lists is that most Canadian lists take low-hanging fruit uh, like Rob Anders used to mm-hmm. do. And they would just simply plug in. Uh, what is the issue of the day? How do I get people to sign up? And I would suggest to you that Jeremy Farkas was the king of outrage and the king of outrage was, was in an excellent position to generate lots of different feedback mechanisms that gave him a great list. But unfortunately, the king of outrage does not build the king of connections. And it is ultimately connection and trust that drives elections. So this is where... To Zane's point earlier, how was this list developed? How was it put together? Who was on that list? That's really going to be interesting to see it unfold over the coming weeks and months. I'm not, I'm not unimpressed, but I'm not saying, oh no, it's all over. The mm-hmm. liberals have lost. How awkward. Um, the liberals can lose because of all kinds of different reasons. Um, bad list management is only but one of them. Okay, let's just wrap this up with, um, you mentioned the Discord, which people can access by paying $6 uh, on Patreon. But what what's the secret sauce of the Discord? Like why I, you love it. You've basically left Twitter because you're getting your fill of community there. You said in kind of campaign work, this would be unusual. You guys would all kind of kill for this sort of engagement. Like what's the secret sauce? What's the, and, and I'll ask both of you to weigh in here, but why do you think 
And you can compliment the audience as you answer, Carter. Why, why do you think the, uh, the, the Discord works? I think it's because we didn't care that much when we set it up. I think that because <laughs> we were like, yeah, I don't really give a shit if we have an audience. That has actually built the, the conceit of the podcast, right? The conceit of the community is, you know, that everybody who's here... Um, is here because of the information we're sharing, because of the because of the community that's being created. They're not here because we're taking advantage of them or we want something from them in the future. They are here for this and this alone, and that's it. And that's the the overarching structure of this. Whereas every other list that we've been talking about today has something else attached to it. We would like to sell you something down the road. We'd like you to donate down the road. We'd like your vote down the road. We don't have any of that. We don't want anybody's vote down the road. We don't want anybody's, um, you know, personal information, you know, whatever. People are listening to the podcast. They pay extra to listen to a few more episodes and we give them a community where they can, where they get along. And we basically barely even pay attention to that community because the community is self-sustaining because they found like, like minds that does not exist. I guarantee that does not exist on Pierre Polyev's list. He could multi, he could create multiple discords with multiple topics, but he would never be able to create a single discord that would have everybody involved. My opinion. <laughs> Zane, what's your opinion? What's the secret sauce? I'll pick up on a lot of things that Carter said. I think the first like comment around not giving a shit, I think neatly packages into authenticity, right? We've never done this for an audience. We actually, as much as like, and even like all of it has just been for us at the end of the day. Yeah. And people see that, like that, that we make it very hard to buy tickets to live shows because we're just fucking around and we find that really fun. Uh, right. So it's almost like inclusivity in a way where it's like, we don't care if you're here. We almost, there's a disdain, which is authentic to who we are, but also not. People know it's a bit of an act, right? But there's that that element to it. Uh, not to kind of hey, hey, give hey, people too much easy. of a peek beyond, beyond <laughs> yeah. our mindset. Yeah. Really getting into it. The second thing that I think is actually really important and maybe undercuts a lot of, and it doesn't undercut, but it actually is an interesting complement to the large numbers that Pierre Polyev is presenting and the small numbers in raw size that we have on the Discord, which goes back to you know one of the basic marketing principles that has now kind of been enshrined almost biblically uh, which is your first thousand fans. A thousand people can build a community, mm-hmm. right? Like this is back to the Seth Godin, mm-hmm. like early 2000s, 1990s, like way of saying a thousand people who are hyper dedicated to what you do, that is really all you need, right? So for like the thousand people, the the, the 1500, the 2000 that are hyper engaged, that are really into what you do, sometimes weirdly into what you do, to build community, that's what you need. And if they're super engaged, like if we wanted to go to that Discord tomorrow and spin off votes, let's say Carter was deciding he wanted to run for the next UCP leader in, in two probably years will. after Rob Anderson. Yeah, uh, yeah right? Mm-hmm. We probably could, right? We probably could because there's an authenticity there. There's like a, there's a, there's a, there's an element of like, people are like, you know, they're fans, but they're also there for one another. They're there to bring more people like them. And, and if you structure it in such a way to say, you're the first thousand, and the whole goal is to get the next thousand of you 
Could you do it? I bet we could. I bet we could double the Discord if we wanted to. And that's not a you know compliment to us. It's just at a certain point, it's human behavior, organizational mm-hmm. psychology principles that are kick into play, yeah. right? The first thousand, they want to interact with more people like them. So of course, to have an incentive to grow the community and any good political campaign to kind of tie a bow on this a bit actually taps into that, which is to say, can we get our first 50 volunteers? And can those first 50 volunteers really fucking love to be there? Right. And to get to the first 50, we're going to have to have churn of 250 people who put up their hand, but 50 will stay. And out of the 50, 15 of them will really like each other. And out of the 15, another 10 will bring someone else to join them. And that's how you start building that that little group of community over and over. At the end of any political campaign, I, I, I give a speech when, if I get a chance to run a campaign. And I say, we have an objective tomorrow, election day, but one of the objectives has already been fulfilled. For you to have a platform to meet people like you, look around mm-hmm. who's here. You've all become friends over the course of the last three months, six months, nine months, year, two years, depending on this experience. You know, And that's something that regardless of what happens tomorrow – no one can take away from you. And you see that, Carter, we've been part of that. Mm-hmm. We've spun off communities. People have started businesses, started nonprofits, joined organizations, jumped onto the next campaign, found a sense of community and purpose, and it didn't take a lot of people. So it's really fascinating that we discuss a massive list number of 200,000, which will balloon up to 500,000, and what it actually takes to build a community. Because if you ask me, I would take 1,500 hyper-engaged people over 200,000 200, people on a list with, if the list quality uh, is, is ultimately the, the differentiator. And when I say list quality for the last 25 minutes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's what you can form through a sense of community, through a sense of purpose, through a sense of spinning up more people like you. Let's leave that there. Good and Zane. We'll do a quick lightning round. Um, first question, Carter, we'll start with you. Ottawa's draft clean energy regulations released late last week. Alberta is not partaking. Uh, Premier Daniel Smith says they won't be implemented, period. Short answer, how do you think this goes in the coming weeks and months? Well, I mean, I've, I've been asking people, you know, is it, are, are you getting what you what you voted for? And a whole bunch of people have have said, yeah, I think that the people who voted for Danielle Smith, this is what they wanted. They wanted to blame um, they wanted to blame Ottawa. They wanted to keep the lifestyle that they have. They wanted to keep things as they are. Unfortunately, as they are means that Hawaii is burned to the ground, that we lose Slave Lake, that we almost lose Fort McMurray, um, that we almost lo- lose Lethbridge. Like, we're not going to be insured. The, the next Florida may well be Alberta. And by, what I mean by that is insurance companies are leaving Florida by the drove. Yeah. They will be leaving us next. Like we're not somewhere down the road. We are next because we are being impacted by climate change more than almost anywhere else in North America, with the notable exception of Florida and California. So keep your heads up, guys. When your insurance rates are so high that you can't afford them, that's because you voted for Danielle Smith. Not anybody who's listening, of course, but... The people who voted for Daniels. Good, good job answering my question there, Carter Zane. How do you think this goes? Oh, Carter, that's a great fucking answer. Really I, I really don't have much to add other than Daniel Smith and UCP will keep, keep milking this. We'll keep floating out the Sovereignty Act. We'll keep you know using that same line of rhetoric until this stops paying off. And I talked about when we were on with Corey, the diminishing marginal returns on attacking the feds were nowhere near that. 
Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, next question, lightning round. Do you have a bet, like a favorite political profile? I know we talked about political profiles for 30, 40 minutes. Like, do you have a, this is the gold standard? Zane, go ahead. I Okay, so I, I mentioned this one earlier, but if we can find it, Carter, your two and a half minuter on the national was like one of the reasons I got in touch with you. I'm like, well, I need to figure out who the fuck this guy is. Um I thought that was a really good profile. People should find it. The one that really inspired me, um, if that's if that's fair to say, was on the first Obama campaign. There was a profile on John Favreau, which I loved by the New York Times. It was short. It was really interesting. Um, I'll throw it in the Discord if people are interested in that one. But that one was really fascinating because it actually used another sort of brand of profile. It wasn't the comeback. It wasn't the how do they do it. This was mid-cycle. It was like the relationship between the young 20-something and this like cool, hip black senator. And I thought that was fascinating. Like the trust bonds that were built between them, the the in it, like what that that relationship kind of almost symbolically meant around Obama's candidacy. It was short. It was interesting. It was really, really cool. That's the one in my mind that 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 sticks out uh, in, in at least in recent memory. If you find the national one, put that in the Discord. I've not seen that. Uh, Stephen Carter, do you have a favorite? Um, probably. I'm not sure that this technically fits, but the War Room uh, documentary um, was looking at the uh, the Clinton campaign with Carville and Stephanopoulos. I just can't get enough of it. It is super entertaining. Uh, love seeing them in the real working environment. Uh, you know, we we had a profile done of Nenshi after um, the Nenshi victory. Oh, that was good. Yeah. But I, I always felt it fell flat because which, it was... The Swerve one or which one are you talking no, about? No, this was a video that uh, Larry Day's oh. company oh, did. Oh, no, I was talking about the Swerve one. That's the one I'm talking about that uh, Shelly produced, right? Yeah. Like, Chris, her magazine um, Chris, I forget his last name. It starts with a K. Yeah, but, you know, I think that I I really liked the video the video idea and I would really love like I really liked the the documentary put in less bullshit about the operatives and the operatives we could see them as real human beings which I think is lacking in most of these profile pieces unless you Can read also- the one by the uh, by Max Fawcett of me and the walrus that's pretty spectacular <laughs> your favorite is so one involving you card Max Fawcett has written a profile about you yeah. um their um, book recommendation, The Gatekeepers, fucking amazing book. Talks about White House chiefs of staff, the influence that they have. I feel like it's very much in line with the staffer profile, uh, but really, really fascinating um, sort of understanding and undertaking of of the influence that these folks have, which kind of relates to the democracy point I was making earlier. Okay, last lightning round. Um, let's say you're advising Polyev, you're building his list, you're going to do another petition that gets more names. Like what's... What's your next petition with it with the goal of like we need a lot of a lot of names we got to bump our numbers. What's your next petition? Uh, my next petition would be whatever hits the news next. I mean, um, probably if you're looking for Alberta names, and you probably wouldn't be looking for Alberta names because you probably have them all already. Uh, but you know, you you could do a petition around uh, asking Doug Ford to copy. Um, Danielle, uh, Danielle Smith and, and ignoring the, the, uh, these, you know, these climate regulations. I mean, you, you could do anything as long as it's in the news for a little while. Um, you can pick up a whole bunch of names, whether or not they're good names Zane. or not. We'll leave to Zane. Zane, what's your next petition? 
Um, I'm I'm reformatting how I do petitions. We keep two streams active. One is the Carter stream, opportunistic, whatever's next. Show that I'm 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 I've got my pulse on Canadians. Build my list, harvest it with whatever quality. The second stream is let's get the names that will actually decide the next election. Let's figure out which demos, which places, which people will actually decide the next election, and I'm going after them. Is it expensive? Yes. Do I have money? I sure do. Let's spend it on that. Okay. Let's leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1090 of The Strategist. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Zane Belgi. 